please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. It's found on page 810 in the black Bibles around you. Matthew, chapter 5. Our sermon text will be verses 21 through 26. In case you're not familiar with using a Bible, the chapter numbers are the large numbers and the verse numbers are the smaller numbers. We'll refer to the different chapters and verses throughout to help you follow along. We begin this morning in this section of Matthew's Gospel a series of teachings from Jesus that are I think, in a word, heavy um, in terms of their implication for us as Christians and in the church. They're they're about real, tangible, practical matters for how we live, and I feel the weight of them as a pastor to try and make sure that we get them right. I think that if we get them wrong, we could mess up each other's lives and maybe put burdens that Jesus did not meant to place on us, or on the flip side, not really follow the way of Jesus and take them too lightly, we might miss out on the the joy and the life that he's trying to give us. So we will discuss issues of our relationships throughout this section, relationships in the church, relationships in your home, and it'll get personal and private. Jesus does not mess around, if you want to put it that way. So for the sake of context, I think one of the important things that we do when we study the Bible is to make sure that you don't just zoom in on a section and then kind of miss what was already said. So if you really want to turn your Bible one page over, potentially it's in the black Bibles, Matthew 4, 17 is an important reference of context. It's important because here Matthew is going to summarize the teaching of Jesus in its entirety. In a phrase, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you were to sum up what Jesus came to teach about, it was repentance, which means to turn away, from your way of being Israel, if you're an Israelite. Turn away from your way of living, if you're just a normal Gentile. Turn away from your view of how to please God. Turn now to Jesus' way through the kingdom, which is here now, this kingdom that was prophesied about and foretold. It's here now in the teaching, the person, and the ministry of Jesus. And this is made evident in the few verses down in verse 23 by what Jesus proclaims and by what he does, his speaking and his serving. Look at 23 of chapter 4. Jesus is through all Galilee and he's teaching in synagogues and he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. This is a very important phrase. It helps us know more of what verse 17 is talking about. This message that he announced is a gospel. It's good news. He's declaring something that is being done in his presence, and will complete in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Jesus is talking about himself as king, and he's saying that I'm the king, and you should follow me and join citizens of my kingdom. And he starts healing diseases and afflictions of all kinds of people. 
And this points forward to the sort of citizens of the kingdom. And the sort of people that we see are diseased, afflicted. The Beatitudes in verse 1 uh, through 12 of chapter 5 show that they're poor in spirit. They're meek. That they are peacemakers in verse 9. And then eventually in verses 13 and 16, I want you to look over of chapter 5, verses 13 and 16. The citizens of the kingdom, so those who hear the message, the good news about Jesus. They are, because of what Jesus makes them and who he forms them to be, they are salty and they are light, and so therefore let your light shine because this is who you are, and do good works, which begs a question, what kind of good works does Jesus have in mind? And if you remember a few weeks ago, we looked at this passage, and I said, all you got to do is just keep reading Matthew's sermon, and you'll start seeing specific examples of what these good works look like. Today, we're going to see a little bit more of what those good works look like in our relationships with one another. And then lastly, We need, for the sake of context, to remember what we just saw a week ago. And if you weren't here, this is just an crucial passage for understanding the whole Sermon on the Mount. In verse 17, he says, Don't think I've come to abolish the law of prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then if you drop down to verse 20, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And with these two phrases, verses 17 and 20, you see both a, a high view of the Bible where he's saying, I'm, I'm not doing away with the Old Testament Bible. But at the same time, he's doing something new as well because he's taking the traditions of how people viewed the Bible. And he says, now you've got to do more than what is currently being done and viewed about the Bible. It actually needs to surpass the current scribes and Pharisees. And scribes would be like your professional um, Bible teachers. And so if you were to compare and contrast who scribes and Pharisees are, scribes were the professionals, and the Pharisees were kind of the self-appointed experts. And this happens all the time. If you are around people, let's say, like in health things today, there's doctors, they're professionals. And then are there not hundreds of thousands of people that read blogs and read books and then they become experts, self-appointed experts on health stuff and they tell you what you should eat or not eat or whatever else? That's, that's maybe a good parallel in our modern day of, of what these people like. The Pharisees were self-appointed. They just made up their own traditions and rules and regulations and they looked down on other people and told them, oh, you're not doing it the right way. And Jesus says, if you do not surpass those kind of people in their righteousness, then you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And those words are are heavy, are they not? You will never be a part of this kingdom. You will never be citizens of this kingdom if your righteousness does not exceed that of even the professional scribes and the self-appointed Pharisees. And what we're going to find throughout the rest of of chapter 5 and then into chapter 6, is I really believe an explanation of what Jesus means by all that I've just reviewed. What it means about the kingdom being here now, what it means that he's bringing this kingdom to poor and broken people, and what it means the kind of works we're going to do, what it means that he's not abolishing the law, but at the same time he's saying something new about it, and he's taking it into a new era. 
So that's the frame of reference we need for this text. Look at Matthew 5, 21 through 26 with me. You've heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. If I could sum up the big idea of this passage in a sentence, it would go like this. The righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees, scribes and Pharisees, follows the spirit of God's law By doing whatever it takes to be right with other people because Jesus did whatever it took to make things right with us. Once more, in one sentence, the kind of righteousness that Jesus is talking about that surpasses the scribes and Pharisees is a righteousness that follows the spirit of God's law. In particular, we're going to see today that it's by doing whatever it takes to be right with people in your life. And we should do this precisely because Jesus did whatever it took to be right with us. So, in three questions, I'm going to unpack that sentence. Question one, do you only care about the letter of the law? Or do you also care about the spirit of the law? I get this from looking at verses 21 and 22. If we look at it closely and we can see what Jesus is doing... You can see in verses 21 and 22, Jesus saying, you've heard it said, but I say to you, and this phrase is going to be repeated. Look down in your Bibles at verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, and I think this phrase of old could be attached to all the repeated pattern, and then he's going to quote something. You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So first he's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting what Eddie read for us from Exodus Two words in the Hebrew, don't murder. No murder, it's it's not permissible. And then he's going to quote in reference, kind of paraphrase, that if you do murder in the book of Deuteronomy, you'll be judged for that in a strict judgment, the death penalty. Then verse 22, but I say to you, and so that's the pattern. You have heard it said, he quotes something. Verse 22, but I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother, and he's going to now start talking about something else. If you drop down to verse 27, notice the pattern. You have heard that it was said, and then he quotes the Old Testament command again. And then verse 28, but I say to you, and then some say that a new one is given in verse 31, or it's just a continuation of this issue of marriage and faithfulness in marriage. So verse 31, it was also said, and then there's a quotation from Deuteronomy. And then verse 33 Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old. That's the same phrase we see in verse 21. And there's a quotation, verse 34, but I say to you, repeat it again in verse 38, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you. And then finally in verse 43, you have heard it said, shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you. 
So what are we supposed to do with these patterns, these sections? An early heretic of the Christian faith named Marcion called them an antithesis, and this has actually been picked up for many, many years since the early stages of the church, and people have called this the antithesis section. I don't think you should typically take your cues from heretics. Heretic, by the way, is the word for somebody that's a false teacher, and so he is someone that called Jesus saying, basically saying, you've heard it said don't murder, but I say to you, eh, murder's okay. Anyone want to take that interpretation? You've heard it said, but I'm going to tell you the opposite. You know, it's okay now. Murder all you want. Kill anyone you want. I don't think that's the pattern we should take. That would be abolishing the Old Testament law. That would be saying, you've heard it said, but we don't have to worry about those laws anymore. Do you remember a context? Verse 17, I am not going to do away with the Old Testament laws. So he's not going to say, you've heard it said, but now let's just forget those laws. So then what is he doing in this section? Is the pattern intensifying the laws? Upping the ante is a common interpretation. You have heard it said, don't murder. But I'm going to take it a step further. Don't even be angry. Now, if you look carefully at our text, you're going to notice a few problems with this view. Number one, Jesus is not actually commanding us not to be angry. He is not giving us a new command about anger. He is saying, I think, what anyone who has two cents about them would say. Anger is an emotion. You can't just not be angry. Try that this week. Just don't get angry all week. How's that going to work for you? So he's not saying don't be angry. In fact, we saw in our New Testament reading that Paul came up and read to us, be angry. It's the same exact word Jesus is using here in the original language. And it's be angry. Just don't sin in your anger and don't let that an opportunity for the devil to get a foothold. And so don't let it stay. In fact, don't go to sleep in your anger. Meaning deal with it quickly, as you're going to see, is the spirit of this teaching. It's not just something you stop doing. God and Jesus are both described as being angry throughout the Bible. Did you know that? God gets angry against injustice. He gets angry against sin. He gets angry against evil. In fact, you, my friend, should get angry when you hear about things that are awful and terrible and evil. Probably just watch any news channel ever, and you should probably get angry once or twice. No matter which channel it is, I think. So be angry, but don't sin in your anger. I like to think of anger and many of our other emotions, like the dashboard on your car or vehicle. If you're driving in your car and lights start coming off, that could 